Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. Uh, Please be opening with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We'll read beginning in just a moment in verse 16. Uh, We began a couple of weeks ago now to look closely at verses 16 to 26. And in particular, what we saw two weeks ago was we saw Paul beginning to describe the path that God puts someone on when in faith they have come to rest in his son. When in faith they have come to rest in his son. That's who we are as believers. Uh, And those who have fled to Christ for life, this is who we are. These are the sorts of realities that Paul has been making very clear through his letter to the Galatians. We are people, sinners though we be, who have stopped having confidence in ourselves, who have no hope placed in our own goodness. We are those who have responded to God's gracious offer to trust in Christ and so to have his righteousness imputed to us. Uh, we, when we came to God in that way, Uh, What he does for us, we saw this two weeks ago, is he places us, Colossians speaks of it in terms of uh, rescuing us from the kingdom of darkness, right? And and, uh, delivering us into the kingdom of his son. The way that Paul spoke of it two weeks ago was to say that God places us upon a new path for the rest of our lives. It's the path of walking by the Spirit. And we saw a few things about that path last week, uh, two weeks ago, if you remember. We saw that that path does not have moving sidewalks. Uh, We saw that it's a war-torn path and uh, not a peaceful one, not one without difficulty and even without occasional defeat. And we also saw that it is an otherworldly path. Do you remember these three things if you were here with us two weeks ago? Uh, This is a path walked by the power of the age to come. Uh, We'll read all again this morning, verses 16 to 26 in just a moment. Uh, And you'll see again that this path lived by the Spirit really is the focus of this entire section. But this morning, we find Paul helping us to understand the nature of that path, the characteristics of it, by showing us a contrast. Uh, So this week and the next, we're going to focus our attention on the works of the flesh that are described in verses 19 to 21. But let's do read the whole passage together. Again, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. There's a difference in how we will approach verses 19 to 21 this week compared to next week. Next week, we'll look more closely at the individual descriptions that we find in the list of the works of the flesh. Uh, Before we do that, though, this morning, there are some general realities that we're going to hear from Paul that we need to understand more carefully before we look at the list items individually. So let's focus our attention this morning on what Paul is teaching us concerning the flesh itself and these works of the flesh. And I think you'll see as we go through this morning, if you were with us this morning in the adult Sunday school class, the chance taught, we talked about the danger of falling off on one or the other side of most issues. Usually there are two ways that you can uh, go wrong or overcorrect, overbalance. This is an issue that is, that's the case for this as well, and I pray that we will we will avoid that. Uh, there's three things that we need to give attention to this morning. Uh, Paul's going to instruct us as to, first, the definition of the flesh, and we began to look at that two weeks ago. What does Paul mean in what he's speaking of here about the flesh and the works of the flesh? So we'll look at the definition of the flesh. Secondly, we're going to hear from Paul about the evident nature of the flesh. And third, we will hear about the end of the flesh. So definition, evident nature of it, and the end of it. First, let's think again about the definition of this idea that he is bringing out to us here when he says uh, the works of the flesh. Sarx is the word for flesh here. It's one of those words that gets a lot of airtime in the Bible, Old and New Testament, but especially in Paul's writings has a very wide range of meaning. So I looked at, there's, there's a, uh, a theological dictionary called Kittle's Theological Dictionary, one of these sorts of uh, sets, you know, that just go through all the words uh, that there are in the language. Uh, they take this word and explain all of the ways that it is used, the, the, uh, the different meanings that it can uh, take in terms of physical flesh, um, but also metaphorically. By the time it's done walking through the ways that this word is used, it has taken 53 pages to do that on this word. Okay? This is not a word with a, uh, with a very simple, uh, narrow range of meaning. Uh, let me give you a couple of quick examples. I'm going to spare you a lot of that. Uh, but just hear the difference between these two verses. All right, here's one, 1 Corinthians 15:39. Paul says, For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. What's he talking about? Right? Skin. The covering over your bones. Sarks. There's one kind for humans, another another for birds. Uh, In Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes Joel in this way. In the last days it shall be, God declares, 
that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All kinds of skin? Is that what he's, he's clearly not using the word in the same way, is he? He's using the word, same word, flesh. He's using it to talk about humanity, about human beings, different ethnicities, different tongues, tribes, nations, all flesh. Uh, he will pour his spirit out on. And we have come to categorize this word in terms of at least five distinct concepts that the Bible intends at different places with the word. What Paul's doing for us here is one of those. Paul is picturing for us here when he talks about the flesh. He's picturing our body as a complete unit. Uh, that includes all of our physical body. It also includes the chemical processes that are going on inside of your brain. It also includes the will that uh, is, is lived out and realized by means of your body. All of these things as a unit, this is what Paul is speaking about here when he talks about the flesh. So if you look at, for example, the list of the works of the flesh in these verses, what do you find? We find things that are done in time and space, many of them. They're done by actual body parts. They are things connected to our brain chemical processes. They are also things that happen inside of us, in our wills. All of these things it lists as um, works of the flesh. Paul writes something very interesting and similar in Ephesians 2.3. Listen to this. You remember there where he, he spoke of us before we were saved. He spoke of natural humanity. And he said, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Remember that? That was just the, the description of life apart from the Spirit of God. We lived in the passions of our flesh. Same word. And then he gives a little participle to explain how that came out. He said, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Living in the desires of my, the passions of my flesh came out in obeying the desires of the body and the desires of the mind. All of it is living in the passions of our flesh. So we, we, we can't limit our thinking to simply the physical here, but it's everything uh, that is encompassed when we think of our bodily existence. All of this, the Bible tells us, is so dominated by sin in our natural state. In fact, the Bible goes so far as it tells us, tell us in Ephesians 2 there that that aspect of us was the only part of us that you could successfully call alive before Christ worked new life in us. Before I heard the gospel and responded in faith, that faith that was a gift from God, before I did that, I was spiritually, what? Dead. My flesh was not dead. My flesh was alive and well and active. Last week we saw that, or two weeks ago now, that now that we have been made alive spiritually, the desires of the Spirit are a principle of opposition in us against the flesh. There's another place where Paul talks about this very directly and with a lot of description. I'd like for you to turn here with me to see this. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4 for just a minute. You're going to hear him talk about some of the same realities. Again, right now we're, we're coming to try to understand more clearly the definition of this idea of flesh. He's not going to use the word flesh here. He's going to use the phrase, the old man. But listen to how he describes it here, because it seems that he's referring to the same reality that we're talking about in Galatians with the flesh. 
Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And we should notice a few things here. First, notice in verses 17 and 18 there, what characterizes unbelievers is the hardness of their hearts. Their heart is hard, verse 18. They have grown callous, verse 19. And as a result, it says that they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, using two of the words that we find in our list here in Galatians. So the unbeliever has a hard heart. You could put it this way, a heart of stone. And from that tree, the fruit that comes out of that tree is callous. Callous by nature and increasingly callous as they live. But what he goes on to say here, starting in verse 21, is that that same initial reality, that same tree to fruit principle is true of believers in an equal and opposite way. Notice what he says in verse 21 about our progressive sanctification. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, and here's how he describes it, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. I hope by now when you hear uh, putting off your former manner of life, something in your mind is saying, present evil age. Uh, I have died and been made alive in Christ. There is a new principle of life at work in me that was not before. And the way he described it in Galatians 1 is Christ has rescued us from this present evil age. So whereas Paul says in our text, and you can be coming back to Galatians 5, now, as, whereas he speaks in our text about waging war against the flesh, in what we just saw there in Ephesians, he speaks of putting off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and instead putting on the new self by being renewed in the spirit of your minds. So here's one thing we're seeing in Galatians 5.19 with the flesh. The flesh is the source of these works that he's about to list. Where these works are found, you can be sure that the flesh is the operative principle at work in that moment. Jesus said as much when he said, A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Matthew 7, 18. Now, where these works are found, you can know that it did not come from the Spirit of God, nor did it come out of the new life that is yours in Christ Jesus. It didn't come from those places. It came from the flesh. And in fact, 
And this is the second thing we are to see this morning about the flesh, uh, the evident nature of the flesh. Paul goes on to say this, in fact, uh, it very plainly and very evidently comes from the flesh. It's plain in two ways, really. You see it in our uh, passage here in verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. They are plain. And it seems that they're plain in a couple of different ways. Uh, one is, it, they're plain. it's plain that they come from the flesh as opposed to the spirit. When you encounter a, a believer in your life who you see, and in, in a moment, they, uh, you find that they are engaging in a work of immorality, uh, or they are fostering enmity and strife in a situation. They are having a fit of anger. Uh, they have gotten drunk. You just think of this list here. You see a believer uh, wh- making that uh, action in their life. You don't ever have to sit there then and wonder, do you? Now, let me think about this. I wonder if that was the result of the Spirit of God in them or if that arose out of the sinful nature. You never have to wrestle with that question. It's evident that these works are the works of the flesh as opposed to the Spirit. You remember what we saw above uh, in verse 17 a couple of weeks ago. The desires and the goal of the flesh are diametrically opposed to the desires and the goal of the Spirit. So it's plain in that way. But it's plain in another way as well. It's plain in terms of the fact that when, when I stumble and fall, when I sin in these ways, it's plain that these works came from inside of me, not from outside of me. This is one point that Alan Cole in his commentary on this passage makes a very good point. He's describing how uh, similar this list of the works of the flesh is to some vice lists that we see in pagan literature of their time. This was a fairly common thing to do uh, in pagan moral philosophy, to have vice lists written out. Uh, And there are some of those lists that this list looks very similar to, but he notes one important difference. Listen to what he says. The one difference was that pagan moralists, while they also regarded these things with horror, yet regarded them as contrary to humanity's true nature. Paul, however, regarded them, I'm continuing to quote from him, Paul, however, regarded them as natural and inevitable results. John MacArthur makes a similar statement as well. He draws our attention to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23. You don't have to turn there, but he lists a very similar list again to this one from Paul in Galatians. And you see the point that Jesus is making there in verse 23. He says this, All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. You see the point. Not only are those two lists quite similar, they both emphasize the fact that these evils originate from within man himself. Now just think about that. And think about what that means for you and for me as we find ourselves living in moments according to the flesh. We find, we read this list, there's not a one of us in here that doesn't read this list and see something 
of an explanation of what happened last Tuesday or doesn't see 